for a lot of you listening live, the workday is done. That means it's the game after work, hour number two, with Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G., Travion Berkman. I should mix up the names once in a while. Why do I got to go in a certain order? Leave myself for last. Best for last, right? Yeah. Uh, didn't have Derek uh, Young on today, so I didn't get to do my thing. It's Wednesday. You know what that means? AEW Dynamite tonight from Cleveland, Ohio. And the AEW World Championship is on the line. CM Punk and John Moxley to crown an undisputed world champion. We were actually talking Whoa. about uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, brother. Macho Man. Ooh. Got to really slow it down. So when you hear people I do I can't a, ramp it up, though. When you hear people do a crummy yeah. Macho Man, you go, oh. You know, uh, out of all the wrestlers... That you can do, like, there's so many characters and voices. Dusty Rhodes is another one. I, I can't really do Dusty, but that's a very popular um, person to mimic and do impressions. But Randy Savage would be at the top of the list <laughs> yeah, as, well, yeah. as well. So It's the only one I can really do. For those of you that don't know, on Twitter, uh, not, No Context Dusty is one of my favorite Twitter follows. That It's clips of him talking... And it's amazing. He really, on the mic, that dude was, I just remember him in WWF as just an old guy. But, like, his stuff before that. The polka that, dots, yes. yes. Yeah. The stuff before that, Sweet man. sapphire. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's just, the, all that was like, oh, how lame. His old stuff is amazing. The hats that he, the guy used to have, he had the coolest old school hats. He had like one where he was, it was a Copenhagen hat. It looked hilarious. He has got a mink coat on before Ric Flair had one. It was really cool, man. Well, today is uh, is a sad day for Chiefs Kingdom. Today we lose a legend, legendary voice with the Kansas City Chiefs as a color analyst next to Mitch Holtis, next to Kevin Harlan over the years, 33 years as a Chiefs broadcaster, KNBC doing the nightly news. He was a sports director starting in the – mid-60s while he was playing for the Chiefs, and also, of course, number 16, legendary quarterback. That was Lynn Dawson, who passed away today at the age of 87. And um, right now we are pleased to be joined by the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, here on the game. Um, So thinking like generational, the way I know Lynn Dawson, Mitch, is that I didn't get to see him play football. He was done 15 years before I was born, but as a broadcaster, you bet. Where I really knew him was inside the NFL, watching it every weekend during the season, and I would always, always catch it on HBO. But as somebody who got to grow up with him playing, what was it like growing up with Lynn Dawson as your quarterback? Well, isn't that kind of the uh, epitome of greatness, is the fact that your granddad, Mitch, uh, sees Lenny a certain way, your dad a certain way, and you a certain way. And the fact that all of those were excellent says everything about Lynn Dawson. Let me just, my personal story was growing up in Smith County near the Kansas Nebraska border, um, I remember eight years old, and uh, the AFL games were on NBC, usually in the late three o'clock window. And I'd watch a half, but then I had to go outside and play it like I was Lenny Dawson, <laughs> take my radio with me. And I'm listening to the game. My mom stenciled me this crude 16 jersey. There's still a picture of it somewhere. Even the Chiefs used it a couple times. But I go outside and I'm Len Dawson. 
And that farm, I could take you there now, Mitch, and show you where Oakland was or where New York was or where Municipal Stadium was. So that's the first part of what Len meant to me. He was a boyhood hero. Uh, and remember uh, at Lake Elbow, outside of Manhattan, watching the Chiefs win Super Bowl Four with my grandpa and grandma. But then 29 years later, after being an eight-year-old, I had a chance to work side-by-side with Len for 24 seasons as a colleague, as a mentor. He was my mentor. Uh, accepted me, uh, treated me as I've been there all along. And uh, I was the kid coming from K-State, and he loved that. He just, and, and he just, anyway, he just embraced it. Uh, and for 24 seasons, it was a little bit of magic. But to stand side-by-side side with my boyhood hero and broadcast games was uh, kind of beyond my wildest dreams in a way. Smith Center to Kansas City. I mean, that's not a short trip. Did you get to watch him live? Never did. Nope. But I imagine that was him. I was always Lenny Dawson. I think I won every game, too, like the Raiders. You know, I'd always pull it out, but I could take you to the farm where Oakland was. Because uh, it had to kind of, in my mind, you know, all that came alive. I'd just seen it for a half, and I had to go out and recreate it. Uh, and then, you know, if it was that old dirt baseball field, I knew exactly where I was going to be. And, uh so never saw him live, but um, playing live. Uh, so that, I mean, made more of the um, kind of luster about it when I got a chance to be with him. I filled in in 1991 uh, when Kevin Harlan auditioned actually for NBC uh, to do network television, and they had me do a game. I had to beat out like 75 other audition uh, people who auditioned to get that game. And I remember, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I was 30 seconds to air, and I'm, kind of choking back tears, thinking, I'm going to work with Len Dawson. And like, Coach, you, I mean, Len, you want to see my stencil 16 jersey my mom made me? Uh, and then it was like, no, i got to be, I got to be on this. And he accepted me right away. We hit it off. One of the reasons that I got the full-time gig when uh, Kevin left in the ni- after the 1993 season was the fact that Lenny and I hit it off so well in 1991. Uh, and that was a lot of his personality. He he just made me better. Like, I, I became Gloucester Richardson or Elmo Wright in this huddle. And, like, okay, I'm going to get you a route and get you a 10-yard gain and make you feel like you're part of the team. That was part of the magic of Len Dawson. He had that kind of personality. So how intimidating was it to work with him that first time? Uh, I tried not to be intimidated. but And he made me feel at ease. If he would have intimidated me or thought, man, you're just a snot-nosed kid or, you know, who are you? Uh, there's some farm kid, you know, I mean, even Kevin, Kevin had, was blessed to have his dad be the president of the Packers, right? So my dad was farming in Smith Center. Uh, he didn't, you know, he made me feel like I belonged. And so if I did feel intimidation and feel like I had to wet my pants every two minutes, that he put me at ease. That's what I'm saying. I'm the nervous rookie in the huddle, and he's going, all right, hang on. This is what we're going to do. You're going to run this route. I'll get you the ball. We'll get 12 yards. We'll get you revved up, the whole team revved up. And then you'll feel like you're a part of this all along. That's the magic of Lynn Dawson. That's what he did for me personally in those broadcasts. What I love about Lynn Dawson's story so much is he was one of us. He was in the media. He was a, a broadcaster and a reporter. And I mean, and we're not talking about when he retired. We're talking about prior to winning the Super Bowl in '69 or '70, uh, Super Bowl Four. I mean, he was working for KMBC as a sports reporter, going there after practice. I remember when I was in high school. 
I worked at a grocery store. That's where I would go after practice. But he was anchoring the nightly news. Do you? I mean, could you imagine anybody trying to do that these days? Well, imagine you being K State's quarterback, and as soon as you left, you would get in your car, in your pads, and uh, tell Coach Kleiman, "Hey, I got to go do the the. Uh, I've got to go host the show." And that's what Lynn did. But he did it so well. So many ex-players want to do it, and so few do it very well. We, we can tell those stories all day long. But Lenny did it as good as anybody. He could take football as a complicated game, but a fascinating game, uh, easy to be kind of misunderstood, but he would make it uh, explain something so complex and do it in such an eloquent manner and do it simplistically that it would not offend the football nerd who needed to know, hey, is the, you know, the X under route or the casual fan who just wanted to know, hey, did the Chiefs win and how did they win? Len had the magic of, do, of handling and, and placating both of those appetites. Uh, it was a gift. I mean, to be only one of three players uh, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame who also made it as a broadcaster with the Pete Rozelle Broadcasting Award with Frank Gifford and Dan Deerdorf is, is amazing, really. And again, he came from very... Uh, meager uh, background like his dad wasn't a coach and wasn't a big quarterback or anything else he was he's an alliance aviator that had to grind his way uh to make it including being caught by the uh the browns and the Steelers. he was the number five overall pick in the draft he was supposed to be the deal he he became the bust uh of the draft and lived in you know some ignominious years there before hank stram got him back and and lenny hit gold with Stram and the Texans becoming the Chiefs. You're more the historian than I am, but from what I recall, like, okay, so Super Bowl three, the Jets win that. They're an AFL team. And and back then, like just a few years after the merger, like the AFL, it didn't have the respect that it probably should have had. It, the NFL was superior and then when Lynn Dawson and the Chiefs beat the Vikings in Super Bowl IV, isn't that kind of where the tide turned and the AFL was just as respected as the NFL? Very much so. Now, I mean, this isn't an apples-to-apples comparison, but let's say the USFL was a 10-year viable league, and you're starting to see some of the better players on some of those teams. But the perception was, man, it is not the NFL. And then you're – because really the, the, you're – your surmising here really starts with Super Bowl One, or originally the AFL-NFL championship game. The two leagues have decided to merger. They decided to have this championship game, and here's Lenny in it, quarterbacking the Chiefs. Well, they're playing the mighty, mighty Green Bay Packers, who are going to destroy the Chiefs. Now, that game ended up being 35-10, to 10, but, but go back to the end of the first half and the start of the third quarter. Now, this is one play Lenny would love back, but... Green Bay was not blitzing Lenny in that first half, and he was picking him apart. It's a 14-10 game, and the Chiefs had the ball, and they're driving. Then Lombardi and his defensive staff said, we got to do something. Like, we, we, this guy will beat us. And, and gosh, what a, that would be a huge embarrassment to the Packers and the NFL. So they blitz him, and then Lenny throws the pick six, and the game gets away from the Chiefs, and they lose it by 25. And everybody's going, see, see, we told you all along, the NFL league stinks. Well, all of a sudden, then the Raiders get a little closer in Super Bowl two, and then the amazing win by Namath and the Jets in Super Bowl three. But in Super Bowl four, the the Purple People Eaters, the Minnesota Vikings, were supposed to clobber the Chiefs, 
And then Lenny was falsely accused of gambling on the game uh, prior to the game. It became a big news story uh, that Lenny was gambling, and uh, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was a false report. Uh, and then Lenny had his knee jacked up prior to in that season of 69, where he was going to go under and give an anesthetic, and Stram said, let's wait and do this, not do the surgery. And Lenny wakes up from, he was actually out. He wakes up looking at his knee, thinking it's going to be all chopped up. It's like, he didn't do the surgery. No, Hank talked him out of it. So Len, who didn't play a lot in the regular season that year, that was Mike Livingston and, and all those Jackie Lee and the backups who held the fort. But then Lenny came out in Super Bowl four and was Lenny. Lenny the cool, accurate. Uh, wasn't throwing 50-yard bombs. But he drove the Vikings crazy, and he played to that Chiefs defense. He talked about that Chiefs defense. He goes, I'm the MVP, but that Chiefs defense was unreal. Six pro football Hall of Famers out of the 11, and they smothered the Vikings 23-7. to And I was at Lake Elbow in Pottawatomie County watching this game, and, and I remember I'd come to Manhattan and stay with Grandpa and Grandma, and he was Burns Donuts. People know who he was. Uh, my grandpa was somewhat famous. But they were all, they, they go, the Chiefs are going to get killed. We're not going to watch that game. I watched it by myself, and I kept giving them reports. Like, no, they were ahead. Stenner just kicked the field goal. Uh, we're up by two scores here. I'm in sixth grade now by this point. And they win the game, and everybody celebrates. It was Lenny just kind of taking, he handled that game. And he was handling so much pressure before that game that people had no idea. And that was just Lenny the Cool. I saw it firsthand, and to work with him for almost a quarter century was uh, was amazing. It's one of the Lord's greatest blessings he gave me and showing me favor in this life. The Time Magazine photo of him smoking a cigarette halftime, Super Bowl one. Yeah, the Fresca, yeah. Got to be the, one of the most iconic photos in sports, right, in history? Yeah, a lot of dudes. That was 66. That's Super Bowl one. A lot of dudes, they did a Super Bowl four. It's not. Look, he's in the all-whites. Um, and a lot of dudes smoked at halftime. Like, that was just something you did. Like, think of Mad Men, right? If you ever watch Mad Men on Netflix, everybody smoked. It's just what they did. And, man, that's how you calm down. Hey, calm your nerves down. Here's a cigarette. So everybody thought, you know, Lenny was some kind of wacko. But, no, that's what everybody did. The voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, is our guest here on the game as we talk about the late, great Lynn Dawson, not only quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, but a fantastic broadcaster as well. 33 years broadcasting for the Chiefs and 24 of that with you, Mitch Holtis. So he wraps up his career in, in 2017. His health starts to decline at that point. Was there ever at a time he gave you a piece of advice that always stuck with you? Oh, not one that I can recall as if it's some manifesto. We had so many conversations, Mitch, that were great. I mean, many times we were sitting together on the plane um, in the manifest. And so that was, and I'm, I'm, of course, you know, pimping him for stories. And, I'm, hey, what about this time at War Memorial Stadium, you're playing Jack Camp. And now I'm going back to when I was eight years old and 10 years old and kind of being fanboy. But then it turned into a how do you handle this kind of situation? And I would go to him and say, hey, I'm facing this. And, uh, and let's be honest, when I took over the voice of the Chiefs job, I'm not replacing some, you know, slappy. I'm replacing Kevin Harlan, who's got a very bombastic style and is, uh, you know, highly, highly regarded. So he was, he said, man, you're good enough. You're, you're really good. This is him saying this and telling me you belong here, which is just his way of I'm in his huddle, right? He's just going, hey, I'm going to get you a 12 yard hitch. We're going to get a first down. You're going to start to get the feel of it, feel like you belong. Um, 
And he even came out publicly, hey, this guy's good. I, I say that humbly, but that was just Lenny because he, but he liked the personalities clicked. We had more in common than we thought. And it was more of me just pumping him for info and what would you, how would you handle this or, or, you know, tell me about this situation. Or he, his first wife, Jackie, was the love of his life and he lost way too soon. And there was just a part in his heart that was left for her. And so I would go, hey, tell me about Jackie. And that would just open that up, and he would. And then there would be some life lessons in there uh, that, I would, that I would get out of it. And we just had those kind of conversations. They were gold, Mitch. They were just gold. And uh, he, he's, there's just a lot more to him. You know, he was the seventh son of a seventh son. No lie. But he was a lot more than that. Well, Mitch, as we wrap up, I'm sure you have a book worth of memories and stories about Lynn Dawson. You guys spent so much time together, calling games, Arrowhead Stadium, on the road at all the stadiums in the NFL. As we wrap up, I'm, I would love to hear if there's a story or a game, your favorite game that sticks out to you as your fondest memories with Lynn Dawson. Uh, how he was in the heat of battle. My first year was an amazing game because we had Joe Montana. He was in his last year. We're playing Denver, and Elway had tormented the Chiefs' kingdom for years. Chiefs would lead. They had a two. They had a two-score lead with a two-minute warning and lost to him one time. Like it's just he was Elway was the the devil. And to our uh, game Monday Night Football at Denver, and he's going to do it again. He takes the late lead, and the place is going crazy, and and we're all kind of mad. And Lenny just stood there under fire, like Bill Gibson and we were soldiers. He just, he's just like, he goes, he just looks at me and he goes, stay in the game here, stay in the game. And Montana could, you know, Montana's different. And it was like he was seeing himself because he would be that, he was just so cool in the moment. And that, that game now, highlights of that game are in a kiosk in Canton, Ohio, um, as one of the great Monday night games of all time. But that's when I saw Lenny the Cool come out in real life as if he was in that huddle again. It was awesome. Well, Mitch, I, I think I can speak for those listening. Loved hearing your thoughts and your stories about the late Lynn Dawson who passed away today at the age of 87, the legendary Chiefs quarterback and also legendary broadcaster who you worked with for 24 years. And again, I know you just have endless memories of him. You could write a book about him, but in this short amount of time, You've really given us a lot of info and a lot of insight about who Lynn Dawson was and just how fun he was to work with. And so, Mitch, I greatly appreciate that. We'll get back to uh, the training camp stuff next week. Well, thanks for indulging me. Um, you know, he worked with K-State's quarterbacks. Vince Gibson had him come over uh, to work with K-State in the early days of Vance. He liked K-State. He would ask about it. Hey, what's because two years I did the Chiefs and K-State. He's like, what's going on over there? looks like they're good. What about this or that? So it wasn't like uh, he ignored it like that's the school 90 miles away out in the Flint Hills. No, no, he got it because K-State was like Purdue. And he knew, he just knew. That's the way he was. So thanks for indulging me on these stories. Uh, today, it's the way it's the way we ought to go. Uh, but I appreciate everybody being patient with me and, and uh, being part of the segment. Well, it just so happens, yeah, tomorrow the Chiefs play the team that Lynn yep. faced in Super Bowl One. It's, uh, it's It's poetic. It's poetic, and that'll be the focus of my game day setup. You can know that's coming. All right, Mitch. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mitch. Great point that uh, Mitch brings up about the fact that uh, tomorrow night's preseason game is against the Green Bay Packers. Coverage to begin at 6 here on News Radio KMAN. But 
the fact that Len recognized what K-State was in comparison to Purdue, I think, is also a great point to end on because they're exactly right. They We've talked for years, uh, those of us who follow college athletics have talked for years about the similarities between the schools, and and there's another point where, it's, uh, where it shows, and that is that uh, Dawson had an affinity for K-State. I would have loved to have been a quarterback at K-State at that time and to be working with Lenny the Cool. Oh, man. Would That's that have awesome. been tremendous or what? Oh, my God. Um, but... In the grand scheme of things, uh, Len Dawson was a legend for this for this region and will always be a legend and brought a hard-nosed uh, effort to everything that he did and yet could be Lenny. The, 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 the comment about stay in the game, kid, that was perfect. That was awesome. That was perfect. And I say that as a guy who wanted Elway to win that game, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, it's um, probably a game you two remember quite well. I, I, I'll never forget it. I, I was uh, actually on the opping the board uh, at a radio station that night and throwing things at the TV when it ended. I remember Willie oh, Davis. I was unhappy. Tiptoe into the end zone, and the Chiefs ran off the field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't shake hands Every because it was cold, it was so cold, and all the Chiefs just just ran for the tunnel. They were out of there because it had been years of John Elway mm-hmm. just crushing the Chiefs, and it was finally got him. One of the things that I was blessed to do because of my connections with Mitch, having been at K State, and my connections with the Broncos, Holtus. well. Right? Are you talking about me? Yeah. No, hold us. Oh, Sorry. And and my <laughs> I think connections. We need to clarify. And my connections with the Broncos folks because of uh, when I did my internship, I was at KOA in Denver for that summer. And one of the neat things that came of that is for a string of years when I was working in Hiawatha, I would go for the Chiefs Broncos game at Arrowhead if I if it wasn't a Monday night, Sunday afternoon usually. But I would go between the two booths during the course of the game and because I was taking in how Mitch was calling it, and I was taking in how, at the time, Larry Zimmer, one of my mentors, was calling the game on, on Broncos radio. And I remember, besides how tiny that visitor's radio booth <laughs> used to be at Arrowhead, um, just how smooth Len was in the booth. And, you know, Mitch could be going through all of the excitement and the the specific punctuation that he goes through on touchdown Kansas City. And Len doesn't miss a beat. He comes in and he's just, he's even keeled. He's cool about it. And it, it was fun to see, but he had a way of analyzing the game that, that uh, you know, while it was exciting in how Mitch called it, Len also was able to focus on the key points of it and keep that cool constantly. It was it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. Meanwhile, I know that the killer analyst in the Broncos booth at one time had a beer thrown on him and he went chasing after the guy out of the booth. Dave Logan. Who's not oh, exactly yeah. yeah, who's not exactly a guy you want to do that to. Oh. Uh, a former wide out slash tight end wow. in the NFL. Wow. Lenny Dawson was, you're like, you're right. I mean, there's one side, you love the excitement and you need that. And then 
after he'd let it rest and then come in and never and, never let it let the moment get too big. No, no, and it was it was nice to have that evenness in the game, and it was too the, bad that later on it got he just got you know. It got by him a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, but when he was on and when he and Mitch like really first got together, man, it was beautiful what they would do together. It's a disappointment that he wasn't able to be on the radio for the last Super Bowl win. Yeah, that's that. If anything, I is is a disappointment. I think for anybody who listened to those broadcasts over the years. Because you would have liked to have seen Lenny get back to the Super Bowl. Well, Lynn Dawson held Patrick Mahomes to his word that Patrick was going to win the Chiefs another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that was a year after. He said that a year after Lynn finished up. Mm-hmm. So that would have been 2018. And that would have been the year prior to mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Mahomes. And think how close they got in 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, got to the AFC Championship game. One D Ford um, offsides, right? <laughs> oh, sitting in a restaurant in Idaho, taunting a friend of mine. Yes, but I think it's no. so funny that uh, so Mitch Holtis, he's already award-winning broadcaster. By the time he gets a job with the Chiefs, and of course, early on in his Chiefs days, he was also still calling K State mm-hmm. games. Yeah, and so imagine juggling that. But when you get the Chiefs job, the color guy not only is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's got already, he's already got 10 years on you when it comes yes. to Chiefs football. Yes. <laughs> Calling Chiefs football. You know, and, and, and you bring up the the strain of trying to do both. Larry Zimmer actually had a great line about this because he was also the longtime announcer for Colorado and is in the College Football Hall of Fame as as uh, an announcer because he won the uh, Schenkel Award the one year. Um, but it, it was rather humorous in that Zim said, have you ever tried to get a flight out of Waco, Texas on a Saturday night to oh. Green Bay in time for a noon game? Oh, my God. <laughs> and and, that is, and that's exactly why it ended as an experiment for Mitch after two years. Yeah. And it wasn't that he didn't want to be at K-State at the time. It was just a matter of with the way that the Big 12 was being structured – it was going to become an impossibility because of the times. And you think of what TV times are now Mm -hmm. on Saturdays. You have no time to plan, essentially. When he talked about the overtime game in Cincinnati, having Mm -hmm. to call that, do post-game, get on a plane, fly to Seattle for a noon Seahawks Chiefs Exactly. Man, I'm sure he was just top-notch. Do that (laughs) five or six times a year. Yeah, forget that. It just forget that. Yeah, uh, you know, make way for someone else. Yeah, and ease the strain on you for sure. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, I get, I suppose we'll just get to number one song of the day. Yeah, we're cool with that. Works for me. Next. There she was, just walking down the street singing. Do what did it, did it. She looked good, she looked good, she looked fine, fine. she looked good, she looked fine, and I nearly lost my mind before I knew. Is is there anybody that doesn't know this song? Do how to Trey. (laughs) I know it, man. Oh, okay. Had me word for a second. Yeah. I'm supposed to know. I used to listen to the oldies. 98.5. Come on. Whoa. Whoa. 98.5. That's right. The old oldies station. It's our competition, so. Uh, 1964. <laughs> 
Doo-Wah Diddy Diddy by Manfred Mann. Oh. Two weeks at number one. Yeah, them again. Those guys. Those guys are cool. Oh, they're an English rock band. They formed in London, even though, like, their lead guy or Manfred Mann or whoever was from South Africa. <laughs> now, they were a group that only together for seven years, 62 to 69, formed by Manfred Mann, who played keyboard. She's mine. The thing was, though, they got a little too cool. Like, they had a lot of hit singles, kind of. And that's, like, just what the people wanted to hear. Well, they didn't like that, so the group split up in 69. I mean, I feel like that's the point of being a band. As soon as you get that nut, you can use that nut to be successful for 50 years. Just need that one song. And you'll be able to book shows forever. And then everybody's, like, clapping along to your other stuff. They're like, oh, wow. Nice. Uh, But Manfred, man, he wasn't done. He was later successful with a 1970s group called Manfred Mann's Earth Band. They released Blinded by the Light. What? Mm-hmm. Yep, same dude. That same, really? Same, same dude. Blinded by the light. Hug up like a deuce and it roll in the night. Yeah, that guy? God, that's cool. Now, he, he wasn't the singer. Manfred Mann was not the singer. Ah, he was just there? Yeah, he was just part of the band. What do you do? I played bass on that second bass. Kind of like a Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Like he's not he's not a singer, right? Nah. He didn't sing, he just played guitar. Yeah. Blue or Santana. Yeah. This guy's the old school Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Yeah. Uh for Manfred Man, or for yeah, Manfred Man without the Earth Band. Um 12 studio albums. Four top 40 hits is their only number one, and it's from their debut album called, get this, The Manfred Man Album. I don't think there's any confusion on whose album that is. <laughs> Kenny Wayne Shepard? No. Uh, no, it was not Springsteen's either. <laughs> so, uh, what this song is about, simply put, it's a case of love at first sight. And more fortunately for the vocalist, he is able to actually strike up a lasting romance with this lady who suddenly caught his eye. Now, when it comes to the do a diddy diddy thing, um, it's pretty much just nonsense. But this was written by a songwriting team of Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich. They were looking to create the gibberish gold, like trying to strike gold twice because they had written a song previously for a group called The Crystals called uh, Dadu Ron Ron. Like, Dadu Ron Ron. Am I doing it right? I don't know. Dadu Ron Ron. If you heard it, you would know it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Something along the lines, almost along the lines of uh, Run Around Sue, Dadu Ron Ron Ron, Dadu Ron Ron. No, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You, you did it better than I did. Do the Ron 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 and then do I did he did he dum did he do. I am I'm confused By the way, right the, now. The Crystals, they also uh, put out the song Then He Kissed Me. Oh, yeah. I remember it from the scene of Goodfellas yes. where Henry's yeah. taking Karen through the uh, kitchen yeah. of the restaurant. And then he kissed me. That's yeah. a great song. No. Covered by Kiss on the no. Love Gun album. It's what closes out the Love Gun. Album. Um, Adventures in Babysitting. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I'll be that's here. That's where it was. Oh, we. Early on, Elizabeth Shue dancing to it. Oh, that's right. She was so pretty. Man, she still is very pretty. But yes, the that 
Yeah. That, huh. Before she gets stiffed by her then boyfriend. That's right. That's what kicks this whole thing off. Correct. But also in Goodfellas. Um, well, he I, walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to die. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, what were you talking about, Trey? You tried to chime in. Kiss did a cover of it called I, Then I She love- Kissed Me. And Then She Kissed Me. Yeah, and so it closes the Love Gun album. Oh. Well, that's good. So, this songwriting team that I was talking about, they had this group in 63 called the Exciters uh, record a song called Do a Diddy, and then Manfred Mann heard about it, they're like, all right, we're going to add a ditty, and we're going to do the song ourselves, make it a banger. And by God, did they. Hey, there ain't nothing you can do about it, Exciters, because I'm Manfred Mann, and everybody knows who Manfred Mann is. They're never going to know who the Exciters are. You know who was in the Exciters? Billy Idol. No. I, I, no. I, I tried to come up with some cool stuff, too, and just like Trey and, and nothing. Damn. Let's see. Uh, do I Billy have a, Idol was in the band Generation X, though. Turn his microphone off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of him. I, I know cool stuff, too. Well, Troy, have oh, you no. ever heard of D, Generation X? <sighs> nope. Wow. And he says he's cultured. Strike out. That's uh, WWE. Yeah, suck it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I got two words for you. Suck it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now we're back. Now we're back, baby. Do a deed. Uh, no one tried to stop this guy from making this song. Nobody said, hey, this is a stupid song you're making here, pal. Or they thought it was a hit right out of the gate. I probably. mean, is it a stupid song? Yeah, but it's catchy. It's stupid, but it's catchy. To the point that it got utilized as a riff in Two Live Crew oh, presentation back in the 80s. Really? Yes, there is a doo ditty that... How is that... Are we t- we got to be talking deep cut. Can you name the song? Essentially a deep cut. Uh, not off the top you of my head, know, no. Okay, so. Yeah, because it, it's been so long since I've listened to it, for crying out loud. Yeah, nobody listens to Two Live Crew in 2022. Thank you, yes. They don't. We did in 87, that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. They were dirty, man. They really, they were the first to be like, I'm just going to explain what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, wait, I, I mentioned earlier, like, this song is, like, it's very recognizable. Like, yeah. you may not know who it's by, but... Sure. Who hasn't heard do I diddy diddy dum diddy do? <laughs> That's just a jingle that sticks in your mind the first time you hear it. You're like, what in the hell is this gibberish? <laughs> there are people that are going to be angry at you for a long but time. But the thing that- was, I-, I looked at a bunch of 60s lists, like the best songs of the 60s. I couldn't find it anywhere. So really? according to list makers, they don't find this song that great either. No, this one's like a movie trailery kind of a song. You know what I mean? For like My Girl. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's loved the 50s back in the 80s. And so this song probably got a lot of run during the 80s. Well, well, then we were falling in love. Shut up, Manford Man. Get your own gig. Was Manford Man, did they play? No, they would have probably been done by Woodstock. Yeah, they, yeah. No, they wouldn't have been a Woodstock band. No, it's just. They were murdered by the mob, actually. They they made fun of a, a, a mobster from New York, Frank Cataliano, and he had him. There's only one reason a mob would leave NYC to go up. <laughs> you, 
Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Go further north, upstate. <laughs> that's it's the, not to take somebody out. It's just to get rid of a body. Yeah, that's what they did. They got rid of Manford Man. Yep. Let's take a break. When oh. we come back, DG is going to have to really soak in that just abysmal <laughs> attempt at humor <laughs> with number uh, with uh, Ask Us Anything. He's going to redeem himself coming up next. I figure we might as well hear it. Talked about it. Now this is a song. Here we go. You two, every time I come back here, you two are back here. Your hands don't feel like your construction. I'm a union <laughs> delegate. I was literally about to say that. I work in construction. <laughs> your hands don't feel like construction. Oh, boy. A union delegate. Troy, have you seen Goodfellas? Enough of it. I haven't seen it all the way through. You, I, I have a DVD you can borrow. <laughs> or you can watch it on Netflix or HBO Max or... All right. Bus yes. trip. It was a, a bus trip. So I was in and out of consciousness. Oh yeah, yep, that's not uh, that's not gonna roll with me. No, I, I need your homework. Need you to watch Goodfellas. It's my favorite movie of all time. DG thirteen fifty K M A N. This is uh, ask us anything. First of all, there's a clip floating around Twitter. It's a game in Japan. Uh, this guy gets hit, gets hit in the back with a pitch and then chases the pitcher all the way out of the stadium. It's hilarious. Also a clip I saw, a lady gets attacked by a fox, a little guy. He just rabid and beating her ass. What about you? You ever been beat up by an animal? You ever been attacked? Beat up? No. Well, I, t- I take that back because I have been kicked by a horse. Oh, yeah, Ooh, dude. Yeah, no, That sucks. Yeah, not good. Like, re- like connected? Yes. Like, really connected? Uh, not solidly connected. I got out of, out of the way enough that it wasn't a square shot. Okay. I got kicked in the calf by a horse one time. I was riding a, I was riding a horse, and he didn't like that horse, and so he kicked me and hit me square in the calf. Ouch. And man, wow. I'll, I'll have to tell you about the time that my brother got basically launched across a driveway by a horse. Oh, oh God. Oh, I haven't been on a horse in years. I and, can't wait. Uh, Dad came up and went Mongo. <laughs> I, so the, the only thing I can really think of is I was like eight years old and I found this nest in a tree yeah. and I'm being a jerk and I took some eggs out of it and Oof. here comes oh. Mama Bird that comes up from behind and basically slaps me in the back of the head. Dang. Like, checked me. Yeah. In birds, the back of the head. Birds nice. be checking people like that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so I got what I deserved. Yeah. Other than that, uh, no, like, no dog issues, cats, really anything. Uh, one time I had a... Uh, Clawed up a little bit. One time a bat smashed me right in the head as I was walking out the door to go to the morning show. And so I'd count that as an attack because he went, Aah! and I was like, God, and smacked me right in the face. I thought I had rabies for like 36 minutes. Hey. And for the following five, he thought he was Batman. Yeah, I did. on. I don't have an answer. You have uh, never been attacked by an animal. No. I mean, a I've dog. been bit by like a dog before, but yeah, that's it's not what, really like Yeah, he attacked. bit you. Where did he bite you? I was bit in the face by a pit bull. Before. Oh, my God. That is an attack. Well, I mean, 
It wasn't like crazy though. You were like, whatever, I'm cool, no big deal. Well, I was like ten, so I was like crying for like two sure. seconds. Sure. I mean, <laughs> it's like if I said, "You ever been in a wreck?" And you're like, "No, I just went to the four car pile up, and then my grandpa, yeah, he got his arm cut off." Yeah, you got attacked by an animal. I mean, uh, if you're Steve Irwin, that's not an attack. <laughs> You're like, that's Tuesday. Oh, it's just being that was, playful. That was Tuesday. That happened to me. That was my fault. Travion, you cried. You, you got hit on the face and it was a pit bull. That's an animal attack, buddy, whether you want to admit it or not. Hey, today in 2006, Pluto demoted from the solar system. They said some nerd somewhere Tough said luck. no way. Hey, some science nerd said no. What about this? I want to say, would you rather? Would you rather... Allow Pluto to become back as a, a planet or get nine dollars cold hard cash. Troy, what about you, buddy? I'll take that nine. Thank you very much. <laughs> a Pluto hater. Okay. Maybe instead of nine bucks, we could just take that Pluto and make it into a free TV service. Ooh. And also, like, lag really bad. Laggy, laggy, laggy. Uh, and, and, at, and at one point, show Big Sky Conference football and basketball and volleyball games and, then and, like, and some indoor football. And yeah. And then be like halfway through, like, nah, I don't want to. I, I, I'll be honest, like, if I can't see it from Earth, I don't really care. Yeah. So unless it's aliens or like a separate solar system that has an Earth, I'm interested. I mean, I will Pluto, say. I don't care. I mean, I will say this. I am impressed for you that nowhere along the line did you even think about making a Uranus joke. Oh, I did. <laughs> I, I made plenty of Uranus jokes. It is. It was. It's it's K Rock Morning Show. Yeah. Well, okay. Valid point. <laughs> I, I mean, that's my wheelhouse. Trey V on you, a animal attack victim. <laughs> what do you think? I have no opinion on this matter. Really? In 2006, I started kindergarten, so. Yeah, but I mean. You're in college. It's nine bucks. You're taking the money. Those are three wells. I heard drinks. somebody, somebody told me. you anything anymore. That's true. Not even a movie ticket. I heard. Somebody told me they would pay $9 to have Pluto back as a, as a planet, which I thought was very sweet for the Plutonians. So, yeah. that's. Uh, I'm taking the cash, though. Screw that. Pluto. Well, coming up tomorrow, actually, I don't really know uh, what the plan is. Trying to get some uh, interviews lined up, more yeah. Big 12 previews. I know we're going to preview Texas football on Friday, which cool. will be our last Friday show for like two or three months. Eight. We get to dig in a little bit to the Chiefs. Remember tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame. Oh. And we will have Do They Know It tomorrow for Trey, DG, Troy, Mitch. I'm out. We're out. Go Cats.